Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Phil Tiger. Hello Slackers, I hope you're good. Welcome to this week's Slacker Podcast, the most splendiferous, magnificent moment in podcast history. Uh, Joe Rogan has said that this podcast was his biggest inspiration for him starting his podcast, even though this only came out three years ago and he started his about 20 years ago or whatever. But yeah, I'm not making this shit up. I'm really not, honestly. Hope you're good. I hope you're getting through the the January lockdown vibes. Um, or for anybody who's binging this, lockdown 47 in 2023. Um, as you can probably tell, I'm just enjoying being able to speak out loud. You kind of forget what your voice sounds like for a little bit with the with the isolation just not talking to people as much not seeing as many people not being as social which means you gotta rely on your favorite content and this lack of podcast is always here for you guys um i've been listening to tons of stuff um the tommy and hector podcast which i think is is amazing um various different football podcasts which i will not go on about at length because it doesn't sound right um and listen if you want even more content then i have a brand new show that's available only on spotify right now it is called chill the beats it is two hours of the finest most alternative music that you can find within the the chill genre it's deep cuts and classics it's trailblazers of the future it's weightless it's float floaty it is essentially everything that you need to kind of defrazzle your brain and give yourself a wee bit of headspace as, as i say on this show it's a little bit of musical medicine um for the soul so you can check that out it, it drops every sunday on spotify i'm doing some daily meditations on that feed on spotify as well there's loads of content up there and there's a patreon for for it that you can you can join as well um but go check it out and if you like it um share it as as with this as well i mean the slacker podcast is getting to stalwart territory now um i it came up on my time hop time hop what is this like um it, it just came up on instagram going three years ago today you were recording with Declan mckenna which was like one of the first podcasts that i've done so we're coming up to the the three-year anniversary i think we started it 
in March 2018. So um, big up to yourselves um, for for sticking with it. And yeah, I mean, that's the thing with podcasts. You just need to keep bringing them out all the time. Old Reliable, the Slacker podcast, and Old Reliable, the Chill the Beach show. So um, who have we got this week? This week it is um, a podcast that I recorded with garage legend, recording legend, uh, piano tinkler. Probably not what he would put on his press release, but uh, uh, a, a piano and, and musical genius that is um, MJ Cole. And we covered a lot of musical basses on this. And we covered a lot of musical basses that I really enjoy talking about that I don't get to talk to other guests about, um, which I thought was cool. And he's really open and honest about uh, his career, the good times, the bad times, and, and, and all of the fun bits in between. So I think you're going to enjoy this. This is the Slacker Podcast with MJ Cole in three, two, everybody, one. Tonight's Slacker Podcast is with MJ Cole. Hello. Hi there, how are you doing? Very good. Yeah, I mean I could have called I could have said today's Slacker podcast is with Matthew James Firth Coleman. You could have indeed. That would have been equally correct. Why why did you drop the, the, the man from the coal? Um well I was looking for a name, I reckon it was around ninety seven, started making my own uh records and I was just looking for an artist name basically. And it's actually a garage dj i was working with at the time i think called naughty be nice he was on london underground and i was sort of about to release a record he suggested it actually use mj and then cole just thought it sounded good and uh i just thought yeah it sounds good so i stuck with that did you ever get pissed off when uh, maya jane calls uh, landed on the scene and then everybody started getting confused <laughs> no 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 not 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 with her no but obviously i get a few um i get a few misdirected emails and you know i'll get a few youtube comments where people are like this doesn't sound like her blah 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 <laughs> or i came here to find Maya jane coles why, why are you using her twitter handle and you know all this sort of yeah. rubbish you get you know I, I had it actually today on twitter someone was you know thought i was j cole the 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 the, the u.s rapper and was like, start, not laying into me, but saying like, I wonder why what MJ Cole thinks about what No Name has said about. Blah, 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 blah. It's quite funny. So I get a little, I get a little waft of MJCs, you know, coming in, sort of misdirected things. <laughs> it's, it's 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 fascinating. I would imagine that like the others get the, the it get, it goes the it goes the other way. I mean, I wasn't able to get my Twitter handle phil taggart our instagram handle so there's another phil taggart who gets tweeted things all the time good and bad <laughs> anytime i'm on radio that the poor fella's just getting berated <laughs> you uh, are shite or this is great <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i'm just sitting there just you going oh, okay yeah he probably loves it and then you're missing out on the well i guess i mean i presume it's mostly adoration anyway so you're missing out on a few big ups there that's not fair is it yeah exactly he's sitting on his ass doing sweet fuck all like and there's me like trying my best <laughs> yeah and he's been there wallowing being showered in praise yeah fed grips yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so we start every podcast with 
a a demo which we'll get to in a second because like you're currently i i can see you're in a, a studio space in shoreditch yeah. isn't it yeah um I, I i never left the studio i mean i do go home but i've been lucky here in that the, the main complex was completely shut down but um i've got a key to the little door and i've got a key to my door and i can just run through without seeing anyone basically so it's been cool I only live uh, like eight minutes cycle away. So yeah, I've, I've pretty much been here the, the, the whole time. Have you been um, making music like through, throughout lockdown? Have you been on the on the keys, on the piano? Have you been making dark and disgusting club records? I've been doing a combination of both because I'm just thinking about where I'm going to go next. And uh, so I've been doing a series of tracks in, in both those veins like three or four tracks in both those veins to try and decide, um, you know, if I want to do more of the kind of piano thing or do more of the dancing, I've come to the conclusion that I want to do both. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I don't see why I shouldn't be able to now. I've, I've proven that I can do both. And so the selection of things I've made recently, um, one of them's, a, you know, sounds like uh, it's a big brassy trombone stab, um, you know dance thing with just a kick and a snare in it and then i've been doing some other uh you know piano sketches and, and stuff as well so it's been a combination and i'm kind of into this uh me being able to do what i want um and it's been great if everyone said um you know if everyone thought the magic Arda album was rubbish then i'd probably just uh be scared off by that but it's been received really well so i feel like i can sort of branch out and and, and hopefully you know do what i want to do basically i was gonna ask like is that like the madrigada album's been out for a little while now like i mean how has how has it been like how have you been do you do you read the reviews have been, people been saying nice things about it have they been buying it yeah i think they have i mean obviously it's different from um you know like a chart record banger song thing in that you know you're not looking for <clears throat> you know like radio one a list and you're not looking for like chart positions it's much more of a a long game i think with an album like that but you know the, the the personal messages i've had from some really great people in music that i really respect and very surprised to get a message from that kind of um Go on. praise has Let, been really great who who who's been reaching out oh i don't know i had like a nice nice message from mike skinner goldie rang me up and said some really nice things um you know, Giles Peterson, like loads of different people, basically, that I haven't spoken to for a couple of, you know, couple of months, couple of years, even some of them. And they got back and just, you know, said how much they love the record. So that, that, that that's been really great. I don't really know in terms of numbers, but um, I know it was like it was number one on the, the iTunes classical chart for a bit and stuff like that. So it's cool. It's been nice to be played on, you know, to play on your show and like Annie's played Cathedral on her show. But then I've been played on Radio 3 as well, you know, by like Elizabeth Arden and people like that. So that that's pretty cool to have the same record be played on one and three within the same week. It's crazy. Like, it's not that crazy. I mean, like when you when you think about like where you came from in garage music and because like there was always like a little element of some of the production of garage music, which was a little bit classical. Like, you know, there would always be like little violins in, in there or somewhere. Do you know, like, it, it's not like you, you're coming from, I don't know, like minor threat, punk rock to, to classical. <laughs> like you've, you definitely have always kind of had showed that side of your skill set. 
Yeah, it's always been there. If you listen to, you know, quite a few of the intros that I've had on tracks and quite a few of the breakdowns off on the piano kind of comes out there. So, yeah, it's always been a feature and it's not like I've just suddenly um, done some kind of, you know, personality reform, transgression. <laughs> I don't know what you call it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Schizophrenic switch. Uh, it's always been there as part of the fabric of my music. So it's just like... Um, come out and had its little uh its little foray it's a little time in the spotlight for a bit so we always play a demo at the very beginning um the demo that we have of yours uh i'm gonna blast in now in a second is called like I, i'd assume this isn't the, the proper name for it most of the demos that we get sent in the slack of podcast aren't the proper names for it but it's maldives yeah. beta seven underscore nine seven right yeah so so it's, it's called maldives and so basically, I think I went for the first time I ever went on a, a, a nice holiday with a girlfriend to the Maldives. I'm just, you know, as I write things, I just call them the first thing that's in my mind. So that it might be like, you know, I call something banana or, you know, just whatever's lying around. I don't really put much effort into it. So, yeah, it's called Maldives. And it was like one of the first tracks I think maybe I used where well, I used these pizzicato strings from that I became kind of known for from a certain sound module. Uh, and it was just written as an instrumental. Uh, and when I came back from holiday, uh, I don't know if I should, do you want me to reveal it all now or after everyone listens? Oh God, I don't know. Let me think. Do you know what? Let, let, let's, let's, it's going to become fairly obvious. Let's play it in. Let's play it in first. Thank you. 
It's never been heard anywhere before. <gasps> that was just um, dun, dun, dun. sitting around on a that tape. Yeah, sweet. A Mal- Maldives MJ Cole demo exclusive <laughs> for the Slacker podcast. <laughs> um, so you were going to reveal something to us just before um, we got into it. What was it? Yeah. So obviously this became Crazy Love, and this was the original instrumental demo that I cooked up before. Um, the infamous Elizabeth Troy got her dulcet tones on it. So this would have been the state I played it to, to her to start with. And then she began to work her magic. And we did that in the studio in um, uh, Torrington Place around there. That was back in those days. So, yeah, it would have been sitting there on her dat and she came in. And I remember her saying about that track, she's like, oh, I've got something for this map, but it's too simple I think it's just too simple. And I was like, no, simple is good. And she repeats that story back to me even now. So she came up with um, the hook and just smashed it out. And then it, it, it turned out, um, came out pretty quickly that 
but I was amazed by how much was actually there from the original demo when I listened to the demo, because quite often it changes a lot. And I hadn't found that demo. I hadn't listened to that demo for, you know, 20 years, basically, and just found it. Um, so I was quite surprised how much of the musical stuff was there. But there are, there's changes that go on uh, that you can tell have developed as the record went on. But yeah, it was quite, uh, it was an interesting find for me that. What stage of like your experience of production were you at when you made that? Um, so I... Yeah, I would have been, I probably started working in studios in 95. So, but I'd been making records in my bedroom for 10 years before that, probably. So, yeah, I was kind of, I, I kind of knew what I was up to. I was engineering for a lot of other people. I was doing uh, big SSL sessions, like just engineering for other people, recording bands, that sort of thing. So I knew my way around the equipment and I'd been making music on uh you know, software and computers for probably 10 years before that. What what does a bedroom producer look like before 1995? When like when when you said you were making records there, like uh, it's not exactly like just lifting up the laptop and clicking on the garage band like you can do now, is it? Yeah. What, what sort of game so are that, you on? That would have been a, an Atari STE computer, you know, uh, originally made as a, like a games computer, the same area as the Commodore Amiga. Uh, you know, which was like an evolution on from the, you know, the ZX Spectrum, um, those kind of things. So, yeah, it was primarily a gaming computer, but it was a, you know, beige computer. It had a floppy disk drive in the side. It had MIDI in and MIDI out built in, which was great. You didn't have to have a box for it. And it had, you had to have the Atari monitor that came with it, which is this, you know, about this big with a huge bum on it and stuff. So it was that and then a sampler. Uh, I think that would have been done on one of the Akai samplers, um, probably an S1000 or a, a Roland S760, something like that. And then the strings come from a sound module, Yamaha TG500. Um, so it's basically an Atari, a sampler, and a couple of sound modules. Yeah, there we go. Um, do you reckon some of the romance has gone out of it a little bit now that you can get every single sound effect you want at the click of a button? Um, no, not for me at all, because I'm still a ha still a sound hunter and I still like sampling things, not necessarily from existing records. Uh, I go to, you know, sample packs, splice, places like that, Loop Masters, uh, and just sift through. And, and that's amazing. I can sift through that like a record collection. But I still enjoy finding tiny bits of sounds and manipulating them, turning them upside down, pitching them up, pitching them down getting them spread across my keyboard and, and creating things like that. So no, I don't think um, I've lost any of that kind of the romance involved with, you know, seeking out sounds and stuff. What is the oddest thing that you've sampled for a, for a track or put on a track? Um, I've had lots of things. Uh, I, I used to carry a field recorder with me and I guess now it's like an iPhone with the, the voice memos. So, um, I've had drums off, you know, you turn a voice memo on and you just put your iPhone down on the flat surface and it goes because it's just sort of finding its balance yeah. in, a, in a case. So I've had some really good drum stuff off that. Um, I quite often weave in a bit of environmental things like my, you know, my kids saying things or messed around or one of my kids playing the piano. Um, so, yeah, and I've had stuff in 
um i did in fact a tune that i've been doing this week that i've kind of resurrected from a few years ago <clears throat> had a sampler instrument called chop me pret and i think i was in pret one day and there was something on the speakers and i've just stuck my um voice memo thing on and then chopped up all the bits and you can't really hear the music you can hear more of the environmental stuff but that was a i have a sample instrument called chop me pret <laughs> and that sounds that sounds great you said that you, you your, your kid plays the piano are you like as someone whose dad tried to teach him to play the piano i i, I it didn't work out very well um because mm. i just like it, it's hard when your parents try and teach you something like do you do you teach your kid to play no um my eldest daughter she does have lessons at school but she doesn't go to school anymore so (laughs) (laughs) that's sort of dried up um it's something i'm very aware of i'm aware of um overdoing it because obviously i could try and teach her i don't think that would be the way to go i think um i probably want to go the way that i went where i had an external teacher outside school that was nothing to do with school um, and that's the way I went on. I think it's like your dad trying to teach you to drive, isn't it? Or your mum trying to teach you to drive. It just, you just it, kill it them. usually goes pear shaped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, you know, <laughs> so it's not the ideal thing. You know, I, I'm I'm there to give advice and sort of point her in the right direction and stuff. But I think um, I think teachers are very underrated people, and they have a special uh, knack for actually being able to teach people. And it's not as easy as it may seem. Yeah, exactly. Because there's a whole there's a whole level of being able to connect with somebody and get the engagement. I think engagement's the most important thing for if you're going to teach yeah, anybody yeah. anything. And if your parent who's like telling you to do a hundred different things a day is telling you to do this, <laughs> you're not going to listen, yeah. are you? <laughs> it's all about the engagement. No. Um, yeah, I don't know anyone who's been successively um, taught by their parents. Do, do you know who I had on the podcast last season? Ludovico Ionaudi. The, the oh yeah the piano composer and yeah, he, yeah he was talking about like because he, he he was talking about how his mom was a piano player and his family and i was like were, were you taught by them he was like no like i would never yeah. i would never get taught by somebody in the family and i'm just trying trying yeah. trying to think through my my family and stuff and i'm like no <laughs> doesn't doesn't work does it yeah i know i, I you know i know a lot of good players who have very famous parents like um, Sir Clive Davis. His son went to my school and he was an amazing violinist, but I don't think he was taught um, by his dad either. So yeah, it's it's you know it's 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 the way it's done. I think it's um, you have to outsource that. It's just too too much overlap. When you when you got into like playing piano and the oboe and stuff like that. What what age were you sent? Were you sent when you were like a kid? Like were you very young when you started? Yeah, piano started at five, and then I would have been playing recorder at school, um, just as you do. Uh, and then so I probably played started playing oboe when I was about I don't know eight or something like that. And then uh, I started going to Royal College of Music when I was eleven every Saturday in addition to normal school. Oh my! And God, that's when right. it really when it really sort of kicked off. Although I'd say between like seven and 11 i i made the biggest advances in in playing those instruments when i was at primary school did you enjoy it like it was because it was it something that just seemed like it was normal to do or like did you want to get better at it or what what, what sort of relationship with you did you have yeah i mean the the, the scene was that i i did my first competition at that hounslow music festival when i was five 
And it was a set piece where there's like 32 kids all come up to the stage one by one and all play the same piece. And I remember it was called In the Meadows. And uh, so I, I played in this competition. My piano teacher just sort of said, go and do this competition. But I won out of 32 kids. Most of them were girls. Um, and for me, as a little five-year-old boy, I was kind of like, yeah, this is cool. I'm into it. <laughs> and that's really what got me going. And then I found I had like an aptitude for it. And my mates would come round. We'd be skateboarding up and down the street and roller skating as you did like in the late 70s or whatever. And uh, I remember one day playing for them, just sitting down at the piano, just like playing this thing. They're like, how, how can you play the piano? Like, and, and I sort of realised then that I was sort of on to something and I had a special little sort of niche uh and I did really well at the competitions and stuff so um that kind of spurred me on but I think I developed my sort of um relationship with music like music became my expression um at a very early age and I think it's that's really stayed with me throughout my life I mean a lot of people would start in bands because they want to attract the fairer sex or they want to show off or or they want like various different reasons to do it i mean there's no there's no better way of of encouragement than winning a competition (laughs) do you know what i mean yeah i guess so i I mean it didn't really cross my mind at that time but um yeah maybe i could have done better in those years if i'd have realized that were you somewhat of a, a child prodigy around your your bits then were you like known as the piano boy like the piano kid yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't call myself a prodigy. There were definitely people around me who were playing in competitions that were just I think a prodigy is something very, very few and far between and very unique. I think, you know, the, the way I kind of feel that there, there might be um, five to ten musical prodigies in the country every year something like that it's a really really small amount so I wouldn't put myself in that category but I say I was a good 8.5 out of 10. (laughs) Were you one of those people that could pick up any instrument because like they always say that if you can play the piano you can play anything? Um, No I think um, there's technique involved in any of it so you know piano and over my thing I've always wanted to play guitar but I think just the the idea of picking up an instrument obviously i can pick any instrument i'm reasonably strong um but to actually you know get into it get the technique going requires a bit of nous and so um i'd like to think i could learn any other one i'd like to play bass guitar or guitar but i never really get around to it i'll teach you how to play bass i played for 10 years like in a band so i'll I'll, 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 i'll give you some slap bass lessons how about that i'll slap the mic yeah man let's do it i don't want to do fretless like 80s style <laughs> and then maybe i'll translate my oboe technique to sax and then we can bring back the sax solo as well that's big that's big you you be clarence clements and i'll do the level 42 shit how about that yeah i'm totally down with that i used to listen to a lot of level 42 when i was um you know younger it's all about thundercat now man when it comes to playing the bass it's all about thundercat. yeah um he's, he's a very sick puppy he, he very much so um also i heard an interview with him uh recently and oh like from his lyrics he always comes across as somebody who's like a massive laugh and like a bit irreverent and into comic books and i heard an interview with him and he was so morose and so depressed and stuff and i was like this like doesn't match up with the songs that i'm hearing do you know know what i mean Um, well maybe he spent all his emotion and he's completely depleted and that's how you found him you know I actually had to Google oboe. I know, like, I, well, oboe is one of those um, instruments that 
you know it exists and you've heard the name of it loads of times but like if you actually asked me to draw it off the top of my head i'd be like mm. oh crap is it one of the ones that you blow into is it like a, i think i almost yeah. thought it was some sort of saxophone or something um well no was so, like, yeah i can i can tell you about it if you want yeah well how did you get into like playing that I, the piano i get like but the oboe i get less yeah i think it's because my cousin who's two years older than me he he played the oboe and uh so i just thought i'd have a go at that and yeah, so the oboe is a bit of a strange instrument. It's, it's the it's the instrument they used to tune the orchestra. So the oboe plays an A, and the whole orchestra always um, tunes to that. But people would know it most uh, from the theme from Emmerdale Farm. You know that that was oboe, um, and it's a double reed instrument, which basically means it's very hard to play. That like clarinet and saxophone, they're single reed. There's a bit of plastical wood and the, and the reed sits against that but with oboe it's actually two bits of reeds that go in your gob um so the reeds are a nightmare they wear out they split you have to bind them together it's um it's it's difficult reed wise if you're in an oboist and did like did you keep did you keep it up did you play in orchestras and stuff like that yeah all the way through school I was playing in orchestras at Royal College of Music I was playing uh in orchestras orchestras and ensembles and you know quartets quintets um things like that up until i was about uh 18 and i probably yeah i, I carried on but no probably till up to about 17 and i probably i have played it i haven't played it since but i still have my oboe and in fact i got it out the other day with my daughters we found it in the cupboard somewhere and I started to play it, and they they found that very funny but like it was was getting into dance music then a bit of a reaction to the classical sort of uh, upbringing that you had? Like, the... yeah, I guess it was. You know, a, a, a kind of late eighties, early nineties was just such a, 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 a amazing time to be alive musically because it was it was just all emerging. You know, in 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 eighty eight, I was fifteen, so I was just starting to go out to clubs and stuff in nineteen eighty eight, which is now seen as like. Uh, you know seminal year in dance music so it was exciting for me it was um, no one really knew what it was it was all sort of coming in through pirate radio I, there'd be a few record shops to go to it was like the equivalent of my punk I guess it's sort of the yeah. music that your mum and dad know nothing about that sounds really loud you sit there in your bedroom with your decks like caning it getting asked to uh, turn it down so it was like a my rebellious kind of music but then I, I became fascinated with, uh, you know, making it and the construction of it. And then obviously I was going out to all these kind of early raves and stuff and having the time of my life. Was it, what, what year was it was the second summer of love? Was that 88 or was that like 90? It was around that, that era. I don't know. I think it was, I, I don't know. Isn't Summer of Love, isn't that originally a 1960s it, American yeah, sort of thing? Yeah, but they say the second Summer of Love was like in, in England, I think, I think around the 1990s, basically when um, the whole country was flooded with ecstasy, uh, I, I would like yeah. I would hazard a guess at. But like when, when you were 15 and going out and, and going to, which was really like the, the genesis of good dance culture in the uk like what what was it like like what sort of music were they playing when you were first oh man it was it was amazing because it was such a mashup there was no genre definitions it wasn't you know there was no like oh this is house this is drama based blah, blah, blah. You, you know you go and see people playing 
and they'd be playing some records that had a kick drum in, but that was still 150 BPM. Uh, other other records that had break beats in, other ones that were more kind of tech sounding that came from drum machines. Uh, and then there'd be like bits of vocals in there. There'd be like hip hop, hip house going on. Uh, it was a complete mashup, you know, house music, skippy stuff, non-skippy stuff, bassy things. No one really knew what it was, but no one cared because as a whole, it was just this new world. It was just amazing. And um, it was, you know, every time you went out, there was something new and there were tapes of all these sets. And we were all just bedroom DJing, like recording tapes every day, swapping them with our mates. We had like, Walkman's on on the tube, going to school. Um, you know, it was it was a cool time. It was it was really exciting and really fast moving and really new. Who were the DJs and what were the clubs that you needed to go to? at that stage uh, so yeah you know i used to go to um places like uh fun city was always a big one for me and that was mostly at barn um busby's that was in charing cross road that where the astoria used to be uh and you know there'd be djs like ray keith used to dj a lot who's still like making sick stuff now and he's still around ray keith um you know nicky black market and then there were people like uh tintin uh you know doc scott was playing randall was around then and fabio uh uh who was it uh was it mickey slim i can't remember no uh yeah loads of guys like that um so yeah i was just following them around were were those um those djs big because of their sets or were they big because of pirate radio or or was it a bit of a mixture of both uh, for me, they were big because of their sets and their sets were big because of uh, selection and, and also technique as well. Yeah. You know, I had a very soft spot for like Randall. He used to play always the last set at a, a place called Innocence that was at Laser Drome in Peckham. This would have been early 90s. He always used to play like five to six because I guess he'd been elsewhere. <laughs> that's but an in- it, it, that's a really intense time. Like who the fuck yeah. remembers? Who remembers any record that is played between five and six? Who remembers any <laughs> record that is played between one and six? Well, yeah, but I mean, I, I had like, there, there was a mate of mine, Joe, Joe Lawrence, who was under the um, DJ name Nutty One back in those days and he worked at I think it was Great Asset the record distribution thing and he was one of my mates so he'd basically know what the records were that all these guys were playing and he used to like every month bring me a bag of new stuff no. and I'd just be there you know at five in the morning just be like Joe what's this Joe what's that he's like yeah yeah we got that in I'll put it in your bag put it in your bag so <laughs> all, it, all it really took was a little nudge on Joe yeah. and then it would appear in a bag and I'd listen to it at home Obviously, it would sound nothing like how I remembered it because you listen to it in a massive club through a huge system and then you suddenly go home and there's like no reverb or anything. It's like, is that the same record? But yeah, it usually was. So yeah, there were ways of um, recognizing these things. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Have you taken on a lot of stuff that you saw in those early sets into how you perform live? Like, can you see parallels to, cause, or can you see parallels to what DJ and like now to then like i mean essentially to to the layman it's just playing two records together and making sure that mm. they they fit well within a a themed set um that has a little bit of a journey but like has has it changed much over the years well i mean i think definitely dj wise what i took from the early days was it, you know especially in the sort of jungle drum and bass thing that i was into i was always in the jungle drum and bass room not the house garage room but the the DJ technique then was very, it was quite chub. There was a lot of crossfader action going on. You'd have like one track going, you know, beat match on the right and you just slip in a snare or, you know, there'd be a lot of crossfader action going on. And I, I think I use that a lot in my DJ sets. Um, you know, I, I was always, I always like using the crossfader as opposed to going up and down with the faders, which I guess is more of like a house thing. So yeah, I definitely took that and, you know, the rewind and the deck stops and the, you know, turning the power off. So you go, stuff like that. How, so yeah, I, I, you know. How come you were in the, um, you were in the drum and bass and jungle room and not in the garage and house room when you have su- such a massive place in garage's history? Like, because I, did, I didn't like uh, house or garage music at all. But, that, like but that's it. like, I, that sounds like, Cristiano Ronaldo playing in defense do you know what I'm saying <laughs> yeah it's exactly like that I mean I I I, I had no interest in, in house or garage or anything around 120 BPM I was like 150 plus uh and break beats only and I, I had no interest in whatsoever the only reason I started making garage music was because I was working in the studio and as an engineer uh, day by day and I had a load of garage DJs come in and they wanted to make garage records and I was on the button. So I had to sort of learn how to put it together. But I think that's part of the reason that my garage records were slightly different is that really I had no idea what I was doing. And so it's just (laughs) my way of putting them together because I I had no ideas what records were called or how it should be or how an arrangement should be. I just had some guys there who were feeding me like records and saying no 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 it should be like this don't worry and so following their lead so that's really how the garage thing started for me. Do, do you think that's weird like do you hear garage tracks like if you heard garage tracks over the years it's on the carbon copies of yours and then like that's funny because you just were kind of making it up as you went along almost yeah totally yeah 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 i mean i i wasn't trying to be like anything um and i just following my nose really and following my my vibe so yeah it's always weird when someone tries to make a record very like yours because i've tried to make records like other people's and it's uh it's very unrewarding yeah it's never as good as the one you're trying to sort of copy or rip off 
Um, yeah, if it goes off in, on a different tangent and you get a starting point for something, that can often be quite good. Uh, and then you go back to wh where it started and it bears no relation to it whatsoever, but it's all about getting that initial spark, that initial cell to get you going. I, I've I've probably said this at some point on the podcast before, but I've heard, like, I, I remember hearing somebody say that the best artists are the ones that uh, are bad at ripping off the artists that they want to. That's where the, origi <laughs> the originality comes from. Like, yeah. you sit down to go, I want to write a, a song that's like Green Day and it ends up sounding like fucking uh, I don't know like ABBA <laughs> but like yeah. apart from that that's the like that's where the best artists come from I, I, who was it said that I can't remember well uh, for me I think most of it started it was US and um you know I think it was US b-sides dub mixes of um you know more kind of uh US garage tracks basically but sped up a lot of people talk about gas club on i think it was a sunday night in covent garden um and there were djs playing there like like hermit and uh uh jason k people like that i think even mikey b from dream team those kind of guys they were just playing uh b-sides dub mixes of us more you know kind of vocal soulful garage tracks they were just playing the dubs at plus eight basically and just mixing them together so for me that's kind of like where it came because i i i learned from these guys who were djing at all these clubs at the beginning you know i really they were my source of inspiration at the beginning i knew nothing about it so it was literally like i'm in the studio guy comes in big box of records there's a record deck there start playing stuff and be like, yeah, cool, right, okay, we can get the hi-hat from there, or like, you hear the way this happened, just learning on the spot. What were the records that, like, you think are important? If you look back at, like, the the first sort of garage records that you took influence from? Um, so I think some of the, you know, Todd, Todd Edwards was, was making stuff back then. I mean, he must have been about, 16 or something i thought he must have been about you know 30 by the sort of maturity of his music but i was, I was listening to things by him i think roy davis jr gabrielle is probably one of the first garage records even though it wasn't supposed to be a garage record it's just a record um and then i remember the beginnings of two-step for me were really like i think the dream team did a track called the theme that was uh probably gavin mills uh, and brian uh, so DJ Face, uh, they they were behind the buttons on that one. And I remember actually having that record in Ramsey and Fenn studio up in Tottenham and having it without the power on and just listening to the beat like and, 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 and that's where I started making my beats slowly and speeding them up so I could sort of analyse exactly what it was. But that for me, it became very interesting when that whole not fall to the floor thing happened and suddenly there was this whole there was no framework really the kit could be anywhere and it was all skipped and that's what really got me going you can definitely tell that you've got like a a massive passion for breaks and stuff with with the with the early beats that you were you were making mm. yeah i mean i was um with, with i was obviously trying to make jungle stuff when i was younger and i was pretty rubbish at it um and I've always found actual using breakbeats as sort of looping samples to be incredibly irritating because I'm quite a sort of 
accurate person as you probably tell from my music and they were never quite in um, and so pretty much all the beats that I made garage wise they were always individually programmed and I used to sort of I used to at the end of a few tracks I actually slowed the tempo down to prove that the drums that I programmed were, were one shots and individually done because you can't really slow a break well you couldn't in those days anyway um, so quite a few tunes and um, they slow down at the end and in fact some of those tunes have caught me out when I've been playing as well I'm playing my own records I've been showing off in the studio by slowing it down I'm mixing in another track and I just get killed by my own beat slow down <laughs> and suddenly it all fall, falls apart uh, yeah I got, I got stung in the tail by my own cockiness that's where you need the sync button that's where you need the sync button <laughs> yeah well they didn't have a sync button in uh, the late 90s um so what was the big like your big moment like the the, the the bit where your music career really kicked off um it would have been making the the single sincere and, and I made that in my bedroom. And what a tune that uh, is, dude! Oh, thanks, dude. Um, yeah, suddenly a lot of stuff started happening with that record, and I had no idea what it was. I think so. Pete Tong had it as essential tune for two or three weeks running. I didn't really, right, with all great respect, I didn't even know what that show was or anything. I was just sort of listening to drum and bass, and you know, <laughs> in my bedroom. Um, and then uh, from that. That got picked up. Giles Peterson got interested. Um, Arthur from Metrics uh, Vinyl Distribution in in in, Re- in Reading got interested, and that went from there. Then I got an album deal, and then it all kind of went mad around 2000 when that came out. <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of did go a little bit mad. Like, I mean, you didn't set out to be a pop star, did you? Like, no. But you definitely no, I, ended, I ended up in 2000. Just... You were. Yeah, I wanted to be a studio bod. You know, I wanted to be a musician who starts off as an engineer and goes on to be a, a, a record producer. That was that's what I wanted to do. So um, it all kind of happened, but it was a joyous path to lead. Like, what 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 goes through your head when um, Sincere does as as well as it did? Like, like how do you uh, how do you not get carried away with it, or did you? No, I didn't get carried away with it because um, my buzz was always from making records. My buzz was always like the studio and being in there. And I think the biggest thrill that I ever had or have and still have even to this day is making something in the studio, uh, going home and listening to it and loving it for 24 hours. That's like my favourite thing to do in the whole world. So that, that way exceeds um, any sort of, extrinsic adulation that you might get so it's all all about like making the record but of course it's great to go out to a club or something and hear your record play or or you walk into a shop and you can hear your record play but that was never my raison d'etre that was never my um, aim I didn't grow up wanting to be a pop star and think what shirt I was going to wear and you know that kind of stuff not interested really but when when Sincere did as well as it did like the pressure was on for you to get a, a an album out and get and sort of get more music out as, as quickly as possible what like what was that like was that a fun experience sort of getting that out like or were you just more intrigued by singles like had you even thought about making records at that point yeah i i always wanted to be i wanted to be signed to a major and to have an album out i remember thinking that and so making that first album was great um 
you know, I, I moved into a different studio. I had more toys to play with. Um, you know, I was able to kind of access different singers and I got very close with Elizabeth Troy and we did loads of work together. And my manager at the time had loads of really great hookups with like brass players. And I'd make some college who'd suddenly come in and do strings and stuff like that. So, no, it was a great experience. I totally loved it. Well, you obviously nailed it as well because the, the record got nominated for uh, a Mercury in 2000. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Who who won the Mercury that year? Badly drawn boy. You must be gutted. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny, you know, because um, I was sitting there at the Mercury's and no one actually knows. I don't know if they do these days, but back then no one knew who the winner would be. Like literally no one knew. And I guess except for the cameraman who's got to focus in on who wins because they want to get their reaction. And so I was kind of sitting here on the table and Badly Drawn Boy was sitting there on the table and the camera was like pointing at both of us. So I remember thinking like, oh, it's either going to be me or him. You know, it was pretty (laughs) mad. And then it's like Badly Drawn Boy. But that was that was cool. I did a full live live performance there, like full band. Um, It was great. Who are like the the god tier um, MCs when it comes to garage music? Because I feel like a lot, a lot of them would have been around that time. Like from for me, I I couldn't have a conversation with anybody about garage without having Miss Dynamite like way up near the top. Like, yeah, I mean she she's just totally unique, you know, as well as being. not just if you're talking apart from like hosts you know uh, uh, um wise i don't think there's anyone who who really matched her um at all and she's you know she's still around she's still making sick records now who else would be on there what are you like what what are you talking about like recording mcs or just uh recording mcs because like i mean i was about 12 or 13 when that was happening and i wasn't in london or at any of the live games right, so, right. so i don't know who right, any so. of the, the toasted mcs are at all but like the sort of recording artists like i mean like where do you stand with like craig david yeah craig david amazing i mean i wouldn't necessarily think think of him as just an mc i think of him as a singer but yeah i guess you're right um you know he's a very talented man and uh yeah he made some great records but i mean you know i was just, when you said um mcs i'm just thinking like you know sort of um you know creed and you know mcdt and like all these kind of guys that mm. made records as well and um yeah i think i think dynamite's a good pick because i was never really like super super MC. I mean, on my record, I had Fallacy, like Danny Vicious Fallacy. He was amazing. I worked with Rodney P and then Roots Maneuver as well. But they were like, they were UK hip hop dons, yeah. basically. Yeah. And I kind of nicked them for a bit of garage. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, yeah, I mean, you've got any genre that gets successful, people try and commercialize it as much as they possibly can and which effectively ends up killing the genre like it happens with it happens with anything any like any underground that goes overground it ends up getting killed by yeah. the majors who put the death nail yeah. in garage like the the first time round like i can remember um, i can remember like artists i can remember stuff like um was it like mystique 
and 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 like real big super pop acts. I'm not saying they killed it, but I was just saying that like it diluted it to this to a, such a form that what was wasn't interested in it anymore. Yeah, I mean, I'd say it's a combination of things. Uh, as the MC stuff started to come through, there was you know physical things going on, like there was violence starting to happen in clubs, and the police were shutting it down, and people were getting shot and it all started to get a little bit you know murky basically and then um you know and and as these things happen it was the same with you know dubstep or same with drum and bass you know you have like a musical phase and then it goes all dark and kind of bassy and minimal mm. and then the musical stage might come up again so i think around 2000 there was quite a musical stage and then it went it went a bit deeper and it went much more mc led and i think um it started to get a bit more moody in the clubs and that's probably that was sort of the beginning of the end but from that i think grime grime was probably born, came. Yeah. it was kind you know, of that like was esky. that was the beginning of grime and also it was the beginning of dubstep which which also suffered a similar fate you know over the course of time very much so i mean <laughs> yeah like the the americans never took the guards the same way that they took the dubstep but like what, what the americans called dubstep and what the uk called dubstep are two very very different things um yeah but it, like what what like what must have been crazy um hearing those early grime records because like from from my knowledge it was kind of wily and the ascii beat stuff that was the kind of beginning of it hmm I'm not the right person to ask about that because I wasn't buying those records really. Mm. I was still on the playing some nice chords and 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 things like that. You'd have to ask Wiley. <laughs> yeah, he knows. He, he knows. knows. He knows. He knows who who started it all off. Um, yeah, but, man. Um, so, like, obviously, you, you, at that stage, you were um, pretty pretty much everywhere, but you were also producing um, other people, which must be really exciting because you said yourself you wanted to be a a record producer what was it like working with like dizzy and katie b an example and those sort of people yeah i mean that all came quite a lot later that's probably um we're talking about like in the last 10 years i think mm. around the time of sincere and things like that i i i, I think i had the opportunity for to produce for other people but i didn't think i don't think i really had the um the right toolbox for that because i just come from my bedroom really yeah and i didn't really have the full skills to be able to appreciate who an artist is mm. and produce from their point of view like to try and make the best record you can for that artist so in a way you're you're working to boost them i was just used to making records the best i could so i think i was a bit too young to do stuff and then as i've as i've got older through my career i think i'm much better at producing with and for other people now so yeah the um the dizzy track that i did baseline junkie we did together i, that, I love you know, that song that song is fucking oh, cool yeah it's so it's so ridiculously hard because like yeah. that, i think that was the first like um i think that was a return of dizzy i think dizzy had been away for a little bit and that was maybe his first record back after a while because i remember listening to like zane low on radio one at that stage and mm. I just remember it be, be, like going, hold on, is he saying, what was it like? What was the, the lyrics in it? There were some really fucked up lyrics in it. And I just remember going, you can't say that in a radio. Big, dirty, uh, big, dirty, dirty thinking bass. Dirty, dirty thinking bass. Big, yeah. dirty thinking bass. Bass, 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 bass. I don't need no weed. I don't need no heroin. I don't need no coke. 
I don't need no ketamine. I'm a bass junkie. I'm gonna make it funky. Like that. Yeah. I love that. Um, I, I, I uh, very briefly, but for a period of two weeks, got managed by Dizzy's manager, a guy called Nick Denton. Um, oh, uh, okay. And uh, I, went, I remember going into the studio and... Uh, like you, when you grow up with someone like Dizzy, Dizzy Rascal's like almost like perfect for my my age, like because I would have been about maybe thirteen or fourteen when he started kicking off, um, which yeah. is like perfect. Dizzy Rascal is the perfect sort of music if you're really like an angry young boy, like. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, I just remember walking into his studio and he was just like lying there asleep on the sofa, and I was just like, "Whoa, that's Dizzy Rascal." Do you ever have that moment? Have you ever had that moment where you've walked in somewhere and you're like, "Whoa, that's X, Y, or Z." Um, oh, I don't really get this. I don't really get this much. I don't get this, not because I'm some conceited person who thinks they're great, but um, I no, I don't really get that. I mean, I'm trying to think now. I mean, I've worked with some pretty top people, and I have sort of shat my pants a bit when I when I've worked with them, but uh, I never get sort of starstruck by them. So who have I seen lying on a sofa or something like that? I'm trying to think <laughs> now. Uh, I don't know. I can't really answer that one. I did I did a remix for Mariah Carey and they flew me out to LA to do it. It was a bit of a mad one because they were so para of letting the dat so they wouldn't send the dat tape over with the parts on because I think they'd been pirated or had something leaked before. Right. Yeah. They were ultra paranoid. So instead of just sending me a tape, they flew me to LA, put me up in a hotel, put me in a massive studio. I get to the studio in LA and I haven't even heard the song. And then I got to meet Mariah, actually. She was finishing her album next door. So that was pretty crazy to go and meet like Mariah Carey and, you know, meet her in a little green room somewhere. <laughs> is she like, is she, <laughs> is she really connected to her music in that like she, you know, she's the boss or does she let other people do it? Cause like, you never know with an artist like that. She, she could be the, the queen bee or she could be just turning up to the studio and just recording her bit and that's it. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I couldn't answer that fully because, um, uh, but the impression I get and having spoken to a couple of like, you know, engineers that work with her, she'd only use this one guy to record her voice, one engineer. She didn't trust anyone else. Um, and she was very particular about her vocal performance and uh, her vocal acrobatics and stuff like that so no I think she was very um very involved in in the content of her music I don't think she just turned up you know and took a ticket and um did it ask the M&EK he's the expert on uh Mariah is he like 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 ben, yeah man he, yeah yeah ask him <laughs> sorry M&EK is a strange uh like uh predicament because he always looked like he was going to be like the next adele the next like sam smith the next like big ridiculously huge uk um singer and then he just kind of was like do you know what i'm just going to write for other people and he's written so many fucking bangers and so many like number oh, one records that, that guy is like probably the most talented musician i know i mean he like his writing skills are like amazing and it's not just like he sits at the back on the sofa. He he write, he produces whole records, like and mixes them, plays everything on them, sings all the BVs. He's got like that sort of prodigy feel um, about him. To me, it's kind of like he doesn't even realise it. But 
to be able to be good in all those areas, like, you know, writing lyrics, actual vocal performance, um, you know, harmonies, chords, drum programming, production, like all in one is very rare. And he, he, he he's amazing, man. I mean, I've worked with him quite, quite a few times and he, he's, um, he's, he, he's a god. I get I get a lot of that sort of energy from Charlie XCX as well. I feel like she's she's kind of like got that same sort of um she can write the theme tune, sing the theme tune, make the artwork and do the whole oh, thing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. like she's she's yeah. just ex- I've never met her, but yeah, yeah, I I feel that. I mean, obviously you can see from their output and it's so diverse and they get involved in so many things. It's like, oh fuck, they're singing as well. It's like, wow. <laughs> you know, so yeah, I'd, I'd like I'd, I'd love I'd love to work with her actually. Are you, Can you like, make it happen, Phil? Yeah, I'll make it happen. I'll I'll, I'll stick the old like uh, bat bat signal up into the air. <laughs> okay, wicked. Yeah. Like, are are you are you like do you work with diff- people in like lots of different musical realms with what what you do in production in twenty twenty? How do you mean? As in like 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 do you make like house records? Do you make pop records? When you're working with other people, do you do you like do people come to you for specific sounds? Um, I mean, more often than not, I'll end up doing a session with, uh, I mean, I guess the whole thing about songwriting and doing sessions is you don't want to be too prescriptive. If you're too prescriptive, um, you're going to squeeze the vibe out. So you need to like allow a certain amount of air, a certain amount of possibility for things to happen. So, um, you know, if I'm doing a writing session with someone and it's kind of like I'm an artist and they're an artist and we're just doing something together, then we'll just try and see whatever fits. But there might be other artists that come in who are in the middle of an album project and you can kind of see which way it's going. So I'm not going to suddenly start knocking out a garage beat. I might just swing over to the piano and it might be like we start with a piano thing. So, it, you know, it really varies. Um and, and sometimes I might, as an artist, ha- have, a, have a record and be looking for a top line and a vocal on it. And, and I'll have quite a specific idea about that, you know, what that would be. So it's a, it's, a, it's a balance. You don't want to be too prescriptive, but you don't want to be too like, hey, man, let's just do a session. Yeah, let's just see what happens. It's good to have some sort of idea. Yeah, it's like, I mean, when you go in with no frame of reference, and I've done this on various different creative projects, if somebody if both people don't go in with anything nothing's coming out like at least somebody needs to lead yeah. a little bit um with with jk um and aj tracy having such big success with like uh garage records recently with neither of them really particularly being just garage mcs like it, it's clear that that sound is very very um back in vogue in in 2020 do you have a hard drive somewhere that's full of bangers that's probably worth hundreds of thousands of pounds now if it got into the right hands yeah when, when's it coming out like you sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um do i have my um, it fe- I, I mean it feels I like a good I do t- have a lot of music sitting around i forget half of i forget about most of it you know unless i actually um, play through it but um, because, you know, I didn't make records with JK. I've been close uh, a couple of times. But um, with AJ, when, it, when I wrote the Rumble with him, that was a few years ago, um, which is kind of like not a garage record. It's a sort of bass heavy, rumbly thing. Still really proud of that record, actually. Um, 
when he came to the studio, I'm like, this guy's a grime MC. I'm not making a garage beat with him. He's going to think that's soft, you know? So I'm like, I need, I need hard beats. And that's how that record came out. But, you know, so it was kind of surprising, really, when he did the thing with um, Conductor or whatever, but which, which is an amazing record. Um, but I always thought that um, people like that wouldn't be interested in Garage because Garage sort of died this horrible death overnight. And I, I, you know, spent years trying to disassociate myself from it, really. I kind of went off to, I thought, oh, I've got to start a band. I started a band project with someone. I started like a down-tempo thing. I started a house pseudonym to make house music. So it's taken me a long time to actually feel like, oh yeah, I can make a garage record with someone and they won't think like it's shit basically. So, so it's interesting. I got properly scarred from the end of uh, garage. Yeah. I mean, it would do that to you. Like, cause like the music industry is a very fickle business. I mean, like one, one minute it's all punk and uh like punk music and then the next minute it's it's glam <laughs> do you know what i mean people yeah. people just yeah. people change their, their trainers and their and their jeans and then that's it off yeah yeah that's how it works no, i mean and now i've been you know i've been around for a while and i've experienced the various undulations so uh i've developed some pretty hefty suspension with uh long long travel to to deal with these bumps <laughs> <laughs> well and it leads us to madrugada like the the record that you've just put out this year and like it's definitely the biggest musical pendulum swing for 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 not you obviously because you've been playing this the, uh, classical music and stuff and piano like your whole life but for me as like a as a fan of your music i was just like going whoop there we go. <laughs> Do you know right, what? right. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. When I'm used to it, because like, I remember um, I was playing Boulders a lot. Like that, that summer it came out, I was playing that a lot. And if you like had it told mm-hmm. me that the Madrigada album came from the same person, it would be like, what? No. <laughs> Do you know? <laughs> yeah, no, that, that they were both me. Yeah, definitely. Um yeah, I don't know what to say. I mean, for, for me, you know, whatever comes out is definitely for me. So it doesn't seem strange at all. But I can see from, um, you know, the outside that it might have been a, a surprise. I was scared, like I said before, I was worried that people would just be like, what is this? You know, Matt's has gone off on this different direction. We've lost him. But I think people sort of understand that. I've always wanted to make a record like this and I will in the future be able to make records like that. But equally, I'm, I'm equally interested in making bangers. And, you know, I made the record with Jimmy and Stormzy Crown last year, for example, that's, I guess, a pop record or whatever. But, you know, I just like to feel that I'm equipped to make all these things. And, um, you know, I don't, like, you know, I don't really care a, a, about what genre people put me in. I'm very proud of being part of the beginning of UK Garage though. I think it's been cemented like into musical history now. And I think it's kind of, it's kind of the clay pot has gone into the kiln. It's been fired and now it's, it's there on the mantelpiece along with the other bastions of the, the, you know, our musical heritage. So I'm kind of like, I'm proud that it wasn't just a flash in the pan and it still is uh, recognised as something. And I still think there's a lot of, as a genre, especially the two-step thing, as in not a 4-4 beat, I believe that is um, unfathomably, you know, uh, 
it has such amazing potential to fit into any particular sort of music you know I'll always be happy to push that forward and I, I feel like there's room still to push that forward I could see well I mean it, it feels like if if you like if anybody is going to bring two-step into modern music in 2020 I feel like it could be you <gasps> dun, dun, dun. well yeah we have to da, da, da. we have to wait and see let me get busy um listen man um thank you so much for inviting me virtually into your studio in in shortage um pleasure man uh it's been it's been real fun um if you anybody's listening to this madrugada the album is out um right now and uh it is it's do you know what it's a proper tonic as well for like 2020 because it's it's nice and relaxing and you know it, put, yeah. it puts me at ease a little bit like listening to listening to the the, the keys and so the piano and stuff on it so um so it's like from from ease to ease from ease to ease the mj calls <laughs> <laughs> that's a good album title isn't yeah, it yeah just call it, e- called it that easy listening yeah I'm sure, I'm sure it's been done <laughs> yeah thanks so much for, for spinning it on your show and, and and stuff man i really appreciate it yeah no problems man i don't have a show unless i got good music to play on it um oh there you go wicked man well thanks for coming on slacker podcast thanks for sharing maldives beta five underscore seven or whatever the fuck it was um, <laughs> but, but it was enjoyable yeah. to listen to and um also for the benefit of anybody listening to this it's been edited um my internet connection is like one flipping upload mbps or whatever per second so um you've had a lot of patience with me today thank you <laughs> <laughs> thanks phil cheers man we'll see you see you in a bit Yeah, man. Nice one. Take care. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.